You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Episode 19. This is the final time that this podcast will be a teenager. After this, it'll be looking for a career and thinking about kids and going travelling. So enjoy its youthful exuberance, because soon it'll be all waistcoats and mortgages. Happy episode, everyone. So, I need some help. I'm looking for a birthday present for my dad. Say, man, how do you check on your appearance before you go to work in the morning? Work? Oh. This isn't sounding hopeful as a present for my dad. You better make a close-up look in the mirror and see if you need Wild Root Cream Oil. You know, Wild Root Cream Oil helps you make a successful impression. It keeps your hair handsomely and trim, relieves dryness, and removes loose dandruff. Oh, hang on. This sounds like it might just be perfect, actually. And there's not a drop of alcohol in Wild Root Cream Oil. Ah, maybe not then. Hey, guess what? The film club is still going strong. Welcome to all the new members. Good to see you. In the two weeks that this thing has been running, the film club movies have been viewed nearly 200 times, and it's quickly become the most popular page on the website. So thank you very much. I've made a few changes. You no longer have to register. Uh, There were a few technical issues on the website. It worked for some people and not for others, and for the life of me, I could not understand why. So I've done away with the registering. Just go along to the website and watch the movie that's there and then go and sound off about what you thought of it either at the Facebook page or on Twitter or email me or whatever you like. This week's film is the magnificent comic thriller And Then There Were None based on Agatha Christie's book and starring Walter Houston, Judith Anderson, Mrs. Danvers herself, and Roland Young, who I mentioned in the very first episode of Adult Clarity. It's all about ten strangers who are invited to an island off the southern coast of England for a party. But when they get there, an unseen hand begins to murder them one by one. I reviewed it all the way back in episode seven, if you recall, and it is one of the greatest murder mysteries ever filmed, so do check it out and see if you can work out who the killer is before the end. Men. Yes? Neat-looking, well-groomed hair does so much to give a man that air of success, to say nothing of adding to his good looks. And I'm sure you'll be interested in hearing about this modern trend in hair grooming, which has become such a nationwide favorite. It's called Kreml hair tonic. Kreml. This highly specialized hair tonic contains a combination of hair grooming ingredients which is found in no other hair tonic. He's very enthusiastic about this, isn't he? Yes, that's exactly why Kreml gives a man's hair such a natural, well-groomed look. I'm sorry, but Kreml sounds like the substance that comes out of pervy old men's mouths when they see girls walk past. Men, if you aren't already using a hair tonic, try Kreml. If you're using some other hairdressing, change to Kreml. Ooh, Well, that's convinced me. I want flat, shiny hair. Names are so important in grooming products, aren't they? Brill cream, for instance. It's brilliant, and it's creamy. And if you cover your hair in it, you'll look brilliant and creamy. 
K-R-E-M-L, Kreml hair tonic. You, you just get the feeling that Kreml will make you look like an absolute prat. So, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on whether you're a fan of these inane ramblings of mine week after a cursed week, I won't be here next week as I'm going away on holiday. Yes, I'm off to the tropical land of Hampshire to spear some fish and dance on white sands around a bonfire where I'll burn bundles of unwanted cash and, uh, and valiantly fight off the attentions of sexually aroused mermaids who want to make me their king. I'm just kidding, of course. The, uh, the sands are more of a smoky eggshell colour. So I thought to keep your minds busy while I'm gone, I'd leave you with a competition in which the lucky winner will not just win a prize, they will win three prizes. That's right, there isn't just one prize in this week's competition, there are three, and they will all be making their way to the superhuman winner of this week's competition, so keep listening and I'll give you all the details later. If you've liked the Facebook page, facebook.com slash attaboyclarence, or if you're following me on Twitter, at attaboyc, you'll no doubt have heard me telling you all that it was my birthday last week, on the 17th of July, which coincidentally is also the birthday of the greatest movie star of all time, Mr. James Cagney. Oh, thank you. So, first of all, hearty congratulations to my mother and father for conceiving me on the most blessed of days, and secondly, I just wanted to put out a very small birthday appeal. I don't want rubies, I don't want dollar bills, I don't want wine. I actually forget the last one. What I'm saying is, if you'd be so kind, as a birthday gift to me, instead of a card, or that Tesla car you were about to send me, would you possibly be so kind as to take a few moments to leave an iTunes review for me? If you don't want to dig into your vocabulary garden and try to come up with truffles, that's cool. But if you could leave a star rating, it only takes a moment, and it would mean the world. Lots of you have been super kind, and I very much appreciate it. In fact, I'd like to have you all for dinner. Any ideas for the menu? First course, cream soup. Just before serving, add a generous amount of Pabstet, cut into small cubes, and watch that cream soup hit a new high in appetizing goodness. So, soup with cheese spread triangles in it. Got it. Next, a main dish. And our suggestion is eggs golden sauce. Hard-cooked eggs drenched with the mellow cheddar cheese goodness of Pabstep. Eggs and cheesy triangle sauce for a main dish. Okay. Now a grand salad. Press two halves of a pear together with a tasty center filling of Pabstep and serve with lettuce and mayonnaise. Pears and cheese triangles and mayonnaise. Yummy. And for dessert, apple pie served with Pabstep wedges. Apple pie and cheese triangles. That'll hit the spot. There you have it. Menu magic from soup to dessert with Pabstet. And you'll find dozens of other exciting ways to surprise your family with this nourishing, wholesome cheese food. Well, I do hope you like cheese, everyone. Come on and gorge yourselves on cheese triangles mixed with every other food group. And don't worry if you overdo it. I've got the perfect remedy. You worked too hard. You ate too much. The cheesecake made you greedy. Let your aching head and stomach hear this message from old Speedy. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. Ah, those speedy Alka-Seltzer bubbles burst into action to relieve your upset stomach and aching head fast. It was only as directed. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief. You know, the greatest thing about doing this podcast, every week I think maybe I won't be able to think of any films for this week. And then four just pop into view. 
So as I said last week, the theme for this week's festival of film fappage is action movies. Yes, they had action movies back then, and they kicked their fair share of asses in these things. In fact, there were hardly any asses that went unkicked. So many asses were kicked that even specially trained ass doctors couldn't keep up with the demand. The first film I want to tell you about is The Mark of Zorro from 1940. This was directed by Ruben Mamoulian, a man with a name that demands a belly dance, as it's being said, and stars Tyrone Power, Linda Darnell, Basil Rathbone, J. Edward Bromberg, Gail Sondergaard, and Eugene Pallette. So Tyrone Power plays Don Diego Vega, a soldier in the Spanish army who's called home by his father, who's the alcalde or magistrate. When he arrives back in Southern California, he finds that there's a new alcalde uh, named Quintero, who's ousted Diego's father and is ruling the peasantry with an iron fist helped by his henchman, Captain Pascual, played by Basil Rathbone. Diego, who was known in the Spanish army as the California Cockerel, studies the situation and decides to use his considerable skills with a sword to put an end to the corruption by masquerading as a foppish nincompoop so that no one will suspect him when he dons a black mask and rides into battle as the master swordsman, Zorro. What's disturbing you, Padre? Thoughts of that bandit? Puppy. Oh, my dear Padre, really? When I think of what one man single-handed has accomplished against these devils, and see you, the last of the beggars, trembling at the very mention of his name, why, but can't you even listen to what I'm saying? Ordinarily, I drink in every word you say, Padre, but just now. Quick, hide this plunder. Plunder? Well, don't stand there gaping at me like a fish. Put it away. What is this? It's some of the alcalde's gold. <laughs> oh, and this I took from his charming wife. It's pretty, don't you think? You took it. Zorro. <laughs> so my old mentor has no more wit than the rest of them, huh? <laughs> Are you trying to make me the receiver of stolen goods? No, Padre. The dispenser. This gold was wrung from the peons. It's up to us to restore it to them. My boy. My boy. My Diego. <laughs> so, apart from the fact that Eugene Palette, who you just heard in that clip as Frey Philippe, is quite possibly the most un-Spanish man who ever lived, this is an absolutely note-perfect romp. There is not one wasted moment on screen. The script moves like gangbusters. It's just one excellent scene after another, and it builds to this huge overblown crescendo where you literally have hundreds of men in a sword fight. It's awesome stuff. So many asses kicked. Action movies of that period just got the ingredients list so right. Films like this one and The Adventures of Robin Hood from two years previously were made by master movie chefs. There's never a lack of romance or wit or action or comedy or danger. You constantly have all five of those elements on screen in an absolutely enchanted blend. Tyrone Power was never more dashing or charming as Diego. He plays the hero as brilliantly as he plays the fop. Linda Darnell is innocence and beauty personified. She strikes exactly the right balance between mischievous and uh, naive. Eugene Pallette, as, as I said, is quite possibly the most un-Spanish man who ever attempted to play a Spaniard on screen, apart from Sean Connery in Highlander. Is he a Spaniard? Greetings. I am Juan Sanchez Villalobos Ramius, chief metallurgist to King Charles V of Spain, and I'm at your service. 
Egyptians. Maybe he was, he was Egyptian. <laughs> he was absolutely neither of those nationalities anyway, so the point's academic. Anyway, it doesn't matter that Eugene Pallette is still his grouchy Kansas-born self. He's always a welcome sight, and he adds a real sense of hamminess to the film with his fist-shaking and his jowl-wobbling little speeches. Basil Rathbone, as well, plays Captain Pasquale faultlessly. He was famously a gifted fencer in real life, and he really gets a chance to swish his sword through the air in this. It's a foolish habit of mine. Some men play with a club or a monocle or a snuffbox. Churchmen finger their beads. I toy with a sword. Do you fancy the weapon? Oh, I, I know very little about it, my dear Capitan. Sword play is such a violent business. <laughs> it's an absolutely brilliant film, a real template for every action movie that came afterwards. It wisely chooses to keep its tongue firmly in its cheek too. There are broadly comedic baddies alongside the serious stuff and you'll be punching the air by the end of it. Seriously, one of my all-time favourites. Next up is Pimpernel Smith from 1941. I mentioned this one briefly last week. It's about another hero masquerading as a fop. This time you have Leslie Howard playing Professor Horatio Smith, who's a timid archaeologist who spends his time journeying to foreign lands to sift through the soil for relics. What no one knows, though, is that he's also a modern version of the Scarlet Pimpernel, using his brilliant mind to concoct daring plans to free prisoners of Nazi Germany, who haven't quite taken power yet in this story, but who are spreading through Europe like a plague and locking up anyone who they think will be a threat in the future. Well, Professor Horatio Smith isn't having any of that, let me tell you. What's the matter? I thought I heard someone outside. He's always hearing things since he got that message. What message? A message I do not quite understand. From whom? That's just it, I don't know. But you think it's from this mysterious rescuer, huh? I believe it came from him, yes. I believe I shall be got safely away. I wouldn't be the first, you know. And you'll go on with your work somewhere else, out of reach of the Nazis. Of course. You always refuse to work for them, haven't you? I would sooner die. My business is to cure, not to kill. Leslie Howard not only starred in this, he also directed it. He seemed to have a strange affinity for the story of the Scarlet Pimpernel. He played the character in the 1934 version too, and it's quite obvious why he was chosen. He does not look like your average action hero at all. He's rather weedy, softly spoken, the personification of the phrase mild-mannered, in fact, and so naturally the obvious choice for someone who is able to hide from the law by blending into pompous society. But Leslie Howard also possessed a magnificent ability to turn on a sixpence, and as easily as he could convince you that he was an addle-headed idiot, he could wither with a simple glance, and you could sense real danger behind his eyes. He was, quite simply, one of Hollywood's greatest stars, and it's a real shame he's not been as canonised by modern audiences as other stars. He's perhaps better known as Ashley Wilkes in Gone with the Wind, and as the original Henry Higgins in Pygmalion, which was later remade as My Fair Lady. But his work of the 30s and the 40s is nothing short of genius. I mentioned It's Love I'm After and Stand In in episode 5, but he also starred in one of my all-time favourite romances, Intermezzo, with Ingrid Bergman, which is one of the most devastating romances in cinema.
Throughout the late 30s and early 40s, though, uh, Leslie Howard threw himself full force into fighting the Nazis. He regularly spoke out against Nazi Germany and made sure to include lots of jokes about Nazi leaders, especially Goebbels. He'd also been traveling extensively throughout Europe to lecture on film and doing everything he could to shore up support for the Allies. Ultimately, his actions led to Goebbels ordering an assassination on him, though, and on the 1st of June, 1943, he finally succeeded. Leslie Howard was on his way back to England from Portugal when his plane was attacked and shot down by the Luftwaffe. Since it happened, there have been many, many theories about why exactly that plane was attacked, ranging from the theory that the Nazis believed that Churchill and his bodyguard were aboard, or that Leslie Howard was on his way back from a secret mission for the Allies. But the most likely reason is that the Nazis knew that killing Leslie Howard would be a massive blow to British morale, and it was. In the British Film Yearbook for 1945, Leslie Howard's work was described as one of the most valuable facets of British propaganda. And when you watch Pimpernel Smith, it's easy to see why. You will never rule the world because you are doomed. All of you who have demoralized and corrupted a nation are doomed. You are doomed, captain of murderers. And one day, sooner or later, you will remember my words. As an exercise in propaganda, it's a victorious little film where brain power regularly defeats oafish violence. And as an action film, it's a little more subdued than The Mark of Zorro, but no less valuable. It's a thinking man's thriller with not many outlandish set pieces, except for one that involves Leslie Howard disguised as a scarecrow who has to remain silent when Nazi officers start to fire at him, but a real sense of threat and some genuine thrills. Number three on the list today is, and I do not say this lightly, the best gangster film ever made. This film is called The Roaring Twenties. I know many of you will probably be bristling by now at the outrageous statement I've just made, but hear me out. Modern audiences, when asked about gangster films, will often tell you that uh, you know, The Godfather and Goodfellas are examples of the best, and I'm not gonna argue with those people. They are superlative movies that really get under the skin of the people behind organized crime, which is why they're so revered. And I certainly regard them both as classics of cinema. They're epic in their scale and their storytelling and they're absolutely wonderfully made. But as much as I admire and respect The Godfather and Goodfellas, they're not the kind of films that I find myself reaching for at all times of the day. I have to be in a very specific mood. The Roaring Twenties, however, is the kind of film that I could watch on a loop throughout the day week, month, year, I could watch it ad infinitum for the remainder of my life and never lose interest in it. It's 
epic in its storytelling. It's colossal in terms of production. It's faultlessly cast. And it's an absolute hijacked ship's worth of fun. And that's what makes it one of my favourite movies of all time. It follows the story of Eddie Bartlett, played by James Cagney, who's in the final days of World War I alongside George, played by Humphrey Bogart, and Lloyd, played by Jeffrey Lynn. Well, when the war finishes, they find themselves shipped back to the States where they have a terrible time adjusting back to civilian life. It's tough trying to find a job and everyone's poor. Well, Eddie soon finds himself drawn into the world of prohibition when he meets a nightclub singer named Panama Smith played by Gladys George. See, Buster, it's easy. All you gotta do is pay off. With what? With sucker money. Ever since Prohibition, it's been floating around waiting to get picked up. Now, a bright guy like you. Now, look, will you stop conning me? Tell me what goes on. Right now. You've been nice to me. You took a rap that I couldn't afford to take. It would put me out of business. And I'd hate to see someone like you banging his head against a stone wall. Now, the liquor business is gonna grow big and it's gonna grow fast. So get in line, Buster. Hack drivers are a dime a dozen. You gotta know people. I know people. It takes money. Well, I can get it. You start small. Tell me. Well, what's in this for you? What's your take? Nothing. That story about the guy in the cell was a sad one. But he'd have somebody tell me that about you. He quickly rises to power to go from being this honest, good guy ex-soldier into this hard-bitten, tough-as-nails racketeer who, despite being the head of the city's biggest crime syndicate, still has an absolute heart of gold. Uh, this is a still. Some of the apple we get around here is not so good, so we give it another cooking. Eh? Our jig is here is making scotch. A little alcohol, a little water, a little color, a little flavor, boom. Tonight we delivered at six bucks a quart. Cost, half a buck. Uh, Louis here's an artist. He gives it that good salt water smell, you know, right off the boat. Smell it up good, Louis. Right. Hi, Denny. Hello, Eddie. Hello, Mineola. Hello. Where's your manners? Oh, yeah. Hello, Miss Mineola. No, no, the dice, the skimmer. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Hello. Uh, this is the deluxe department. The boy here's making champagne. Tonight we'll be delivered at the best circles. Fifteen bucks a quart. Is it real champagne? No, it's diluted New Jersey Applejack. The chumps will think it's vintage stuff right off the boat, bottled in France. It's kind of cheating, isn't it? Cheating, yes. Cheating if you get caught. But you don't get caught if you take care of the right people. And this is big business, very big business. But, of course, it isn't long before Eddie falls foul of the city's other crime boss, a rival bootlegger named Nick Brown, played by Paul Kelly, who keeps thwarting Eddie's attempts at breaking into the big leagues by controlling all of the imports of real booze from Europe. So Eddie enlists the help of his old army buddy, George, and together they embark on a series of heists and liquor robberies that build their empire up even further. What do you have? Oh, nothing for me. You don't have to be afraid of this stuff. This is a McCoy. I drink it myself. It doesn't make any difference. I don't like it. You liked it well enough to knock over this boat for a hundred thousand bucks worth of it. A dress salesman doesn't have to wear dresses, does he? So I have to clip you, George. You ain't clipping me. You're clipping Nick Brown, the guy I work for. He's gonna be awful sore at you, Eddie. I'm in too much of a hurry to worry about anybody getting sore at me. He's a mean guy. I'll take my chances. You know... I think I'd like to take mine with you. Between the two of us, we ought to do all right together. I'm doing all right now. Oh, look here, Eddie. It ain't gonna be so easy the next time. 
Brown ain't gonna stand for you hijacking his boats like this. The next time he'll be ready for you. One fine night, a five-inch shell is gonna blow the top of your head right off. You can't spend your profits in the bottom of the ocean. Go on. Well, it's like this. I got the organization to bring the stuff in, and I know where to get it. You got the organization to peddle it. What you mean is you want to double-cross Brown. Been done before, you know. Mm-hmm. What do you say? I don't trust you, George. <laughs> you could stand a little watching yourself. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a pretty good basis for a partnership. You're on. It's a deal. Right. When this film is finished, you will look back on it and marvel at the fact that all this happened in one movie. You have psychopaths and love triangles and heist sequences and music and shootouts and assassination attempts and action scenes and murder and comedy and romance and suspense. It's all presented as a kind of window on the past, almost like a news report. So now and then it breaks away to update you on what was happening in the world at the time, which works seamlessly with the narrative. Today, while the earth shakes beneath the heels of marching troops, while a great portion of the world trembles before the threats of acquisitive power-mad men, we of America have little time to remember an astounding era in our own recent history, an era which will grow more and more incredible with each passing generation, until someday people will say it never could have happened at all. One of these sequences tells you everything you need to know about the stock market crash in about 30 seconds and includes some absolutely mind-blowing special effects to illustrate the devastation caused by the massive financial collapse that happened that even if it were remade today could not be bettered. It's filmmaking perfection. Cagney, as always, is magnificent in the film. He has his heart broken at one point and the pain on his face as he apologizes and walks away is devastating. He's also called upon to play an alcoholic in the later parts of the film and his performance is scary stuff. You can almost see the broken veins on his face and the weariness on his skin. It's one of the best roles he ever played. Bogart is also wonderful as the psychopathic George who casually murders a young German soldier in the first 15 minutes and makes a joke about it and then sneers his way through his circle of friends in the middle section of the film. He often played rats before he began his more heroic series of films but my god he played a rat well. You have Frank McHugh as uh, Danny, Eddie's best friend, who's this lovable, lumbering presence who sticks by Danny like a puppy, even when things start to take a turn for the dark. Priscilla Lane plays Jean, who uh, Cagney's besotted with, but who doesn't return his love. And Gladys George is her wise-cracking best as Panama Smith, who harbors a really tender and equally unrequited love for Eddie. The whole film is very impressively underplayed when it comes to this story. It's never spoken out loud, but we constantly see her looking at him longingly as he's staring into the distance at Gina. And then you have an absolutely killer ending where Gladys George gets to deliver a closing line that really makes you think about what you've seen. An epic crime story that began in the trenches of the First World War and ended on the steps of a church where you've witnessed a man go from soldier to crime lord, from good guy to bad guy to good guy and everywhere in between. 
It's a stone-cold classic movie. As I say, in my opinion, it's the greatest gangster film ever made because not only do you get the epic scale and the peak behind the eyes of the people in organised crime, it's also a barrel of fun. I'm probably going to watch it again tonight. The last film I want to tell you all about is the 1935 classic adventure movie, Captain Blood. This was Errol Flynn's first breakout hit. He'd actually been in a couple of small Australian films in the 30s, but in 1935, Warner Brothers took a risk and cast him in the lead of their $1 million pirate epic, Captain Blood, and the rest was history. It's the story of Peter Blood, an improbably named doctor, who's wrongly imprisoned for aiding a rebel and sent to the colonies as a slave, where he falls in love with Olivia de Havilland, escapes, and steals a Spanish galleon and turns pirate. Befriends and then fights Basil Rathbone, kicks a thousand asses, has a ton of swashbuckling adventures, and ends up saving England. If this film was a drink, it would be a pint of Coca-Cola with 20 Mentos fizzy sweets thrown in. This thing just fizzes and explodes with action and fun and vitality. It's so much fun to watch that even the hardest of men will need to reach for a fan now and then to cool themselves down like a geisha. You have biting, you have intrigue, you have kissing, you have piracy, you have ass-kicking, you have Basil Rathbone, you have cannons and swords and swinging and punching and some more ass-kicking again. The makeup, so much makeup. Errol Flynn looks like a prostitute at times. And at exactly 58 minutes in, rejoice in a literal ass-kicking. Lionel Atwill gets his ass kicked off a ship. Not a figure of speech, he gets kicked up the ass until he falls off the ship. Can you swim, Colonel Darling? We're giving you the chance to cool off some of that excessive heat of yours. Over the side with him, men! And then the whale came, and the whale swallowed Jonah. I hope. <laughs> Goodbye, Jonah. Don't forget to write. <laughs> I know pirates are kind of anathema to people. You've either had it ruined by the Johnny Depp films or it seems like an old-fashioned form of excitement to you. I'm exactly both of those things. I'm instantly switched off when I hear previous generations saying things like, Well, of course, every child wants to be a pirate and a vagabond and embark upon adventures and play cowboys and Indians and dig for buried treasure and go to war and shoot a gun and play hopscotch on a public street and urinate on a wall next to one's friends and climb a tree until one's head reaches the clouds, and eat squirrels, and score the winning goal, and, and play cricket with one's contemporaries, and play with a hoop and stick, and trade marbles in the sand pits, and pretend to be Robin Hood. Because, to me, that stuff is rather dated now. I've never gotten the appeal of Peter Pan, for instance. But Captain Blood, even though it's now 79 years old, is an absolute ton of fun. It's the sort of film that even today's children will absolutely love. It's funny, it's romantic, it's exciting, and so many asses get kicked. It's stupid amounts of 
of fun. Even the quieter scenes. For example, there's a scene just after they've stolen the Spanish ship and they're drawing up a list of rules to live by. It's nighttime and there's a few lanterns hung around the deck of the ship. All the men have gathered on deck and Captain Blood is addressing them all. You have the twilight horizon in the far distance and the ship is kind of rocking ever so gently and it's movie magic. It's so evocative of adventure. You just want to be there, punching the air and saying, aye, Captain, and sailing off into the great unknown with these guys by your side. Now, men, you've heard the agreement. It's the world against us and us against the world. His hand will be against every man and every man's hand against him. Genesis 16, chapter 12, verse. Those of you in favor of these articles, raise your right hands and say, aye! Aye! best thing about this too is that these aren't model ships they're destroying. These are full-size pirate galleons they're blowing up. When you see cannonballs tearing into the wood of the masts and the sail bursting into flame and men scurrying around the decks like ants, this is an honest-to-goodness pirate ship you're seeing being destroyed. Hollywood style, of course, but no expense was spared. It's a lavish production, an awe-inspiring spectacle, and all of the magic is real. Radio playtime. Well, why the hell not? Buckle a swash, I say. Draw your sword and sail off with me now on a stolen Spanish main and prepare thyself for an ass kicking in the ears. Because the Lux Radio Theatre mounted a superb version of Captain Blood in 1937, featuring original cast members Errol Flynn, Olivia de Havilland, and Basil Rathbone. So hoist the mainframe and set sail, me hearties. There's a squall ahead and an ass kicking's on the horizon. England in the year 1685. When James II ascended the throne, many of the common people of England rose in angry protest, only to be beaten into submission by the king's soldiers. Those rebels who survived the royal butchery were led to another certain death, a trial by a jury in Taunton Castle. We're in the great hall of the castle now. Among the five prisoners on trial is Peter Blood, a young Irish physician. Having no fear of God in your hearts, and being moved and seduced by the devil, you have stirred up war to depose said king. Therefore, you are here to be tried before a jury of your peers. The clerk will call the prisoners. Jeremy Pitt. Yeah. Hold up your hand. Are you guilty or not guilty? Guilty. John Wolverstone. Guilty or not guilty? Guilty. Uriah Ogle. Guilty or not guilty? Guilty, praise be to God. Henry Hagthorpe. Guilty or not guilty? Guilty. Peter Blood. Guilty or not guilty? It's entirely innocent I am. Are you guilty or not guilty? You must say the right words. Words, is it? Speaking of words, I'd like to say a few about the injustice of keeping an innocent man locked up for three months in such filth and heat and ill-feeding that my chief regret is I did not try to pull down the filthy fellow that sits on the throne. Silence. Are you entirely ignorant of the proper procedure in court? I'm most happily ignorant up to now, and I could gladly have done without this acquaintance. <laughs> Peter Blood, you were taken into custody at the same time as the other four prisoners. You were in their company on the night of the rebellion at Monmouth. Is that true? Yes, my lord. Then there is nothing more to be said except the passing of sentence. May it please your lordship, but there's a deal more to be said. I'm guilty of nothing, your lordship. Unless it's a judge a crime that a physician tried to save a man's life. What's this? Do you tell us you're a doctor, you rogue? I do, my lord. 
I was summoned on that night to the side of a dying rebel. I went and was surprised there with the other prisoners. A doctor. <laughs> Where are your witnesses? Jeremy Pitts, who summoned me. Oh, Master Pitt will testify. He that is himself a confessed traitor. <laughs> is that your witness? I can bring a hundred from the town in which I live. Have done with it. We have no time for all this. Gentlemen of the jury, inasmuch as Peter Blood has admitted aiding a traitor to your king, I hereby instruct you to return a verdict of guilty, that he may be justly punished for his treasoning. So, justice has come to that, has it? A man's to be hanged now for doing his duty. Huh? You will not be hanged, Master Blood. His Majesty has graciously commanded that in the future, all convicted rebels are to be spared. They're to be sent to the colonies in the West Indies. To be sold as slaves. Clark, have the prisoners removed. They will sail for the Indies within the fortnight. And there was a great calm. Matthew chapter 8, verse 26. There'll be no calm upon this sea, Master Ogre, until we sight Port Royal. If ever we do sight it. Do you think we will, Peter Blood? Aye, to our worst luck, Wolverston. It's the sun's rages there, so I hear. Burns deep into a man's blood till the skin shrivels on his bones. Oh, God. What has happened to us, Peter? Oh, we're sweating the fields, Jeremy. First be bought and sold on the auction block like you'd haggle for a pig or a horse. Now count your teeth. Feel your muscles. Put a price on your head small enough to be an insult to a beast. <laughs> yes, it's a gay place, the auction block. A fine gay place. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Miss Arabella. How is my darling, the governor, in this foot? Every day I'm sure my gout can't get any worse. And every day it does. You know, Let's so... get on with the sale, Your Excellency. Oh, of course. My dear Colonel, according to the King's request, it's for you to take first choice and at your own price. He got that a weedy-looking lot. Not likely to be of much value on the plantation. The less you want, the more for Mr. Dixon. Dixon? Oh, Uncle, I wish you'd buy all the slaves. Buy them all? To keep them out of Dixon's hands. I've heard of those mines of his. And what have you heard? That they're wet, dark, evil holes. That men can't live there but die in agony of a horrible lung fever. You can't stand by and see men doomed to that, Uncle. Arabella, don't be childish. They should have been hanged, drawn, and quartered. Any fate they meet is too good for them. Start the sale. Here's the best of the lot, Colonel Bishop. His name is Wolverson. Healthy and strong. Open your mouth. Hmm. Good teeth. 
Fifteen pounds. Sold. Move along there. Next. Get up there, you. Ah, here we are. Here's another good one, Bishop. Peter Blood. Hmm, looks healthy enough. Open your mouth. Open yours and we'll compare them. I wager my gums are in finer shape. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this bag of impertinence? Peter Blood, sir. A doctor he is. Stand over here. Now. Open your mouth, you dog. If there's a dog here, let him show you his teeth. I'll show mine only to bite. <laughs> There's a rebellious rascal, Arabella. Good for him. He has pride, Governor. Not so good for him, evidently. His pride will purchase him a ticket for Dixie's mine. He isn't there yet. Auctioneer. Miss Arabella. Let me speak to this prisoner. Speak to a dog. Arabella, get back to the carriage. Please, Uncle. Peter Blood. You're extremely foolish. You overwhelm me, my lady. It's fortunate for you that I'm here to save you. If you mean by that lofty speech that you persuade him to buy me, I'd thank you not to interfere. Would you? As it happens, you are hardly in a position to have anything to say about it. Uncle, will you buy him, please? Him, I will not. Let him cool his head in Dixon's mind. I'll have none of him. Uncle. I say no. Very well. Mr. Dixon, will you make a bid? I'll give five pounds for him. Five pounds? That's an insulting sum to offer. Well, does anyone ever more? I do. I'll give six pounds. Oh, oh, you I'll give eight. Arabella, you're making a spectacle of yourself. Let me be. Nine pounds. Nine pounds? Nine pounds, Miss Arabella? It's a big price to pay for such a skinny fellow, but uh, ten pounds. <laughs> Sold to Miss Arabella for ten pounds. Uh, what do you wish done with him, Miss Arabella? Oh, uh, well, Don't be hesitant, my lady. Speak up. You've paid for me. I trust you've learned your lesson in appreciation. You may join my uncle's slave. Thank you. Your very humble slave, my lady. Arabella, get back to the carriage. Governor Steed will take you to the house. Of course. Of course. This way, Miss a bundle of fire. What does the doctor say, Governor? Say? He says nothing, of course. Well, then why not try someone else? Another doctor? There's only two in the whole blasted island, and each is worse than his partner. There is another now. Who? Peter Blood? Oh, a slave. Would you elevate a slave to be physician to the Governor? Well, why not? If he can help you, you can't tell. He may be very good. Mm. Well, it might be worth a try. I'll have him come and treat me for a while. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm just thinking how annoyed Peter Blood would be if he knew I'd just done him another favor. Working. Don't look at me. I... I've just come from the boat. It's hidden in South Cove at the end of the path. We'll make a break for it tonight. Tonight? Yes, till Wolverston, Ogle, and Hegthorpe and the others were in with us. It's a small boat for so many, Peter Blythe. I've looked it over well. I've been there all afternoon. It'll hold a lot of us. Are you out of stores and equipment on board? Yes, there's enough for it. Careful. Let's listen. Peter Blood. Peter Blood, do you hear? 
I will not address civilly. A taste of the lash might improve your hearing. Uncle, please. <laughs> Be quiet. Where have you been? I've been at my work, attending to the governor at his house. You lie. Why? The governor's had another attack of gout. He's been screaming for you like a wounded horse all afternoon. Well, then, it appears I was not at the governor's house. Where were you, then? Well, I was... He was with me, Uncle. Eh? What's that? Thank you for protecting my reputation, Dr. Blood. But it was a useless gallantry. My uncle knows that I spend my time with whomever I please. You might choose your company with better taste. His Excellency is waiting for you, Blood. Travel, Bishop. I'm coming. Get on up to the house, Blood, and don't delay. Would you care to drive up, Dr. Blood? Well, I... Thank you. Drive on. <laughs> Miss Bishop, I'd like to... You're very welcome, Dr. Blood. It seems that you're continually doing me favors. Faith, I don't know why. Neither do I. Yes, I do. It's because you're so very grateful and always thank me so prettily. Sure, now, you don't blame me for resenting you in your favors. This is interesting. I've had men tell me they have reasons for admiring me, and some few have even made claims to reasons for loving me. But for a man to store up reasons for resenting me, how refreshing. You must tell me a few of them. The first is reason enough. You bought me. I've had no lack of experiences in my life, but to be bought and sold was a new one. And I was in no mood to thank my purchaser. At any rate, I'm unable to stoop to lick up the scraps of favors tossed to me. I'm glad for that. Next. Well, I've resented you because your name's Bishop. My thoughts have lumped you with your uncle. How was I to know, be dead, that a devil can have a... That a devil can have an angel, a niece. I'm a resentful man. That is a pretty fair compliment. Have you any more reasons for resenting me like that one? Indeed I have, and the strongest of all. I've resented you because... Because I'm a slave and you're beautiful. Do you understand that? I... I don't know. If you were to explain further... No, I've already talked too much. Why did you lie to your uncle? Why did you tell him I was with you? Why? Dr. Blood, you're a physician and should know... Is it not considered unhealthy for a slave to be seen at a boat? At a boat? Why should it be? Boats put out to sea. Slaves may not. You're jumping at conclusions, aren't you? Why? This afternoon I happened to drive past the South Cove. Fortunately, I was alone at the time. I see. Miss Bishop, it's difficult for an Irishman to apologize... But I hope you can forgive me for having thought badly of you. I will. I will if you tell me what you think of me now. How I think of you? I think of you as... <laughs> Faith. I think of you as the woman who owns me. A slave. Oh. But I think the man is lucky who can count you his friend. I think you know you can. <gasps> what was that? Sounded like cannon. It was. Look at the men in the field. They're looking towards the bay. It must be. Wait. Can you see? Yes, there's a fleet sailing in. Spanish man of war. Spanish? Then it's an attack. A surprise attack. Quick into the house. Where are you going? I've got to see the men. We've worked to do. (laughs) 
Bernard. Kill everyone. They want us to defend the bay. Defend the bay. Aye, that we will. Listen, all of you. This is our job. Our chance to be killed by a cannonball. Listen, listen. I want you to gather all the slaves, as many as have a spark of courage, and follow me down to the waterfront. What for? We need a boat, do we not? Aye. Then we'll have one. But none of your skulking little craft. We'll take a good one, a Spanish man of war. We'll board her under the fire from the other ships. Take command of her. Turn our cannons on any Spanish boat that blocks our way to the sea. It's a long chance, friends, but with the help of God, we'll make it. Are you with me? Then come on, everybody. I say, did you see that boat, Colonel Bishop? A Spanish man of war saved the town from destruction. A Spanish boat, but manned by Englishmen, I'll warrant. She sunk the rest of the Spanish fleet and holds the bay alone. It must be that some brave party of citizens got aboard that ship and have taken it captive. Gad, I think you're right. Someone should go aboard and congratulate them. Yes, yes, I... I'll have the longboat row me out. Oh. I'll not be long, Your Excellency. I hope your uncle does them full honor out there. They deserve it, Your Excellency. Whoever commanded that party was a brave man. A very brave man. I... I wonder who it could have been. I... Ahoy! Spanish man of war, ahoy! They don't out the colonel. Isn't that strange? I'll go aboard. Pull over there by the ladder. Stand by the boat. I'll be down directly. Aye, sir. Ahoy, is anybody here? Welcome aboard our boat, Colonel Darwin. You? I? Peter Blood. Was it you, then, who took this ship and turned defeat into victory? Myself it was. Myself and these, my friends, and, uh, your friends. <laughs> Gad, my life, it, uh, it was heroic. Heroic, is it? Dad, it was that Well, you amaze me. Upon this soul, you amaze me. Blast me, you deserve well. You all deserve well, and you shall find me grateful. How grateful? Well, I'll, I'll ask His Excellency to write home to the King on account of your exploit. And maybe some portion of your sentence shall be remitted. The bout will be expected from you. <laughs> Colonel Darlin, such unusual generosity from you must be making you feel very ill. Now, as your physician, I prescribe... Hang him! No, 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 wait. We've done no hanging yet, man. Ogle, what do you suggest? So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea. <laughs> Are you ready, men? No, no. Swallowed Jonah, I hope. <laughs> what now, Captain Blood? Captain, is it? So be it then. Peace man to his post. Make ready for sea. Make ready for sea. A few of the crowds, men, take the helm, Jeremy. What a name. We must have a new name for the boat. What name shall it be, Captain Blood? A new name, eh? Very well. We'll call her the Arabella. The Arabella it is. Captain Blood in just a moment. Now, a short side trip to the home of a reporter from one of the famous movie magazines. This particular reporter has a new roommate from New York. Let's listen in. Peg, do me a favor, will you? 
kind of look over this beauty article tonight. I walked the dressing rooms of every studio in Hollywood today to get the dope for it. Oh, why don't I get jobs like that? I've never been in a studio dressing room yet. Boy, I'll bet those screen stars have some plenty expensive beauty aids around. Upkeep on million-dollar complexions must be something. Hey, don't tell me it's news to you that screen stars use Lux toilet soap. Why, everybody knows that. But believe me, there's a lot in seeing it with your own eyes in the dressing rooms at RKO, Warner's, and all the rest. Of course, I've heard a lot about Lux toilet soap. And now that I've seen a lot of movie star complexions myself, I've decided I'll give it a whirl. That girl is in for a smooth complexion, the kind that screen stars have to have. Remember, when nine out of ten screen stars use Lux Toilet Soap, it's because this soap keeps skin smooth. Lux Toilet Soap guards against cosmetic skin. Its active lather removes the hidden traces of dust and dirt, stale rouge and powder that might remain to choke your pores. Before you put on fresh makeup, remove your stale makeup with Lux Toilet Soap. And be sure never to go to sleep at night without this important care. Lux Toilet Soap is a beauty soap thousands of happy girls are using. You'll like it, too. Once again, Herbert Marshall. On with the story of Captain Blood, starring Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland. With Basil Rathbone, Henry Stevenson, and Donald Crisp. When Peter Blood and his men sailed out of Port Royal, a price was set upon their heads. Unable to put into any civilized port, they took the only course open to them. They turned to piracy. With a ship, a handful of men, and a brain, Peter Blood carved out a crimson career in his new profession until his name became the terror of the Caribbean. Captain Blood! became the pride and toast of every buccaneer. Portuga, an island off the coast of Haiti, was the one haven of refuge for pirated craft. Captain Blood and his men are there now, in an evil-smelling tavern, dimly lit by hanging lanterns, crowded with drunken, daring buccaneers. It is as I tell you, Mount Captain Blood. What a pair we would make. In all the Caribbean, there is no buccaneer so strong as me. Except you. You almost flatter me, Levisseur. <laughs> then why you hold off so long your consent we become partners, huh? Here you have been in Tortuga these three, four months. You must be even so much in need of gold as I. Uh, such a partnership requires sober thought. My poor brain has been dancing with rum this whole week, class. <laughs> even so drunk, your brain is the greatest, huh? With your brain and my strength, oh, monsieur le capitaine, what? There is nothing we cannot do. Be dead, there's very little I can't do entirely without you. <laughs> <laughs> My men are much in favor of the partnership. That is so, men. And my men, I'll leave it to them. Are you in favor? I don't. Very well, then. It's done. Wait, Lever, sir. It's understood, is it not? 
that we sail under my articles. It is. But uh, <laughs> I do not like so very much your so strict rules about women. No women to be taken as prisoners. Agreed? May uh, we? To get you as a partner, mon capitaine, yeah. I would agree to anything. <laughs> <laughs> now, what is the first order, mon capitaine? We sail with the tide. Outside the harbor, we'll scatter. Each ship will proceed singly in order to pick up what straight prizes we may run into on the journey. We'll converge at the island of Virgin Magra. Magnifique, I give you the toast. To our so great success. Let me give one to the greatest captain on the coast. Captain Navasure. Captain Blood. Here, here. Captain Blood. We are lucky, yes? Just as I am about to give up and anchor to wait for my partner, Captain Blood, this very fine English prize walked right into my parlor and said, Bonjour, Le Vasseur. <laughs> we go to give welcome, Kawuzak, huh? <laughs> oui, mon Capitaine. Run up the Spanish flag. We must take them by surprise. Run up the Spanish flag! The lookout says. Do you see it, Lord Willoughby? Aye, there it is, Miss Arabella. Oh, yes. I wonder if she's going to Port Royal, too. Have you been away long, Miss Arabella? Almost six months. A kind of vacation. Are you glad to get back? In a way, I suppose I would have stayed longer in England if my uncle hadn't sent for me. He's been made governor, you know. Yes, I've heard. It's natural that he should want his niece back again. One needs a woman to brighten up social occasions, especially when the woman in question is so very charming. Ah, however else things change, Lord Willoughby, the art of flattery still flourishes. Stab me if it's flattery. When the king ordered me on this journey as a special emissary to the West Indies, I looked forward with some trepidation to a life among the savages. But when I came aboard and found that you were one of those savages returning home to her native heath, my grateful eyes couldn't believe it. Ah, you pictured us running around with animal skins, eating raw meat? Why not? In a country filled with Indians, Africans, and pirates. Well, speaking of pirates, uh, did you ever happen to hear of a wild rogue named Peter Blood? Peter Blood? Yes. No. I don't know him. I, I hardly number pirates among my acquaintances. Oh, no, of course not. Silly of me. I only mentioned him in passing because he happens to touch on the business of my mission. Your mission? Yes. I'm sent to attempt to blot out all this piracy, my dear, in a manner which I must keep secret until I can find Captain Blood. Oh, you're looking for him. Aye. Look, stab me if that Spanish vessel isn't cutting clean across our bow. Captain Hall! Captain! Yes, Your Lordship? What ship is that, you know? Well, I've been watching her, Your Lordship. She flies a Spanish flag. She could be anything in these waters. We're in pirate waters now, aren't we? Yes, my lord. Yonder bank of low clouds is the island of Virgin Margaret. Exciting, isn't it, Miss Arabella? Mm. Could she be a pirate ship by any chance, Captain? Well, any ship we meet in the Caribbean could be a pirate ship. You know, I wouldn't trust. <laughs> she fired across her bow. All hands on deck. All hands on deck. She is a pirate ship. And the talent. Get below, Miss Arabella. The captain's going to fight it out. 
Virgin Magra. No boats ever put in here except mine. And one other. So you may put aside any hope of rescue that may be in your mind. <laughs> the ransom for you two, Lord Willoughby and the, uh, the so charming lady, is fixed at 20,000 pieces of eight, and I shall provide a boat for you to go to Governor Bishop at Port Royal to collect it, Lord Willoughby. Meanwhile, Mademoiselle remains with me as hostage. Ah. I find it very lonely on this island. I refuse. Absolutely and utterly. My friend, do you see this knotted cord? It is capable to screw a man's eyes out of his head. Very well. Do your worst. Lord Willoughby, thank you, but don't be foolish. You can't fight against them. Mademoiselle is right. I beg you to spare yourself, monsieur. And the young lady. Ah, I have been too modest. But since I have stayed 20,000 pieces of eight... I have said 20,000 pieces of eight. And for what, if you please? I said 20,000 pieces of eight. Good morning, never, sir. Captain Blood, I did not know you were on the island. Oh, yes. We arrived late last night and put into a cove a few miles to the west. We've walked across to give you a good day, but faith, I seem to have interrupted some little business of yours. Who are these people? Yes, Miss O. Look, Captain. She's the girl. You recognize the prisoner, Captain Blood? I know. Who are they? Well, I have captured them. A titled Englishman and the niece of the governor of Jamaica. Really? Then I suppose congratulations were in order. But had you forgotten there is an article in our agreement forbidding the taking of women prisoners? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, that's so foolish article of yours. I was not aware you regarded it so when you signed. Would you care to dispute my opinion now? Your men... Against mine. No. No, not this morning, thank you. As you say, a foolish article. (laughs) That is why these prisoners are of my own. A matter personal. And the 20,000 pieces of eight also? A matter personal. Whatever valuables come into our possession are the joint property of all our company. Then it is I should cut the prisoners up in so many little pieces and pass them around, eh? (laughs) Yes. Obviously, these prisoners, and especially the young lady, must be kept in someone's hands for, shall we say, safekeeping. But why your hands? Why shouldn't Pierre have her? We, I should have her. Or Ruff, or Jacob. Since she's as much their property as yours. Come here, girl. Here, I say. What do you want with me? I want to look at you. Mm-hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Be dead if I blame you, Lever, sir. A trifle skinny, perhaps. But an attractive baggage at that. <laughs> and now, my captain, since you covet what is our joint property of war, you may have her, providing you're willing to buy her. Buy her? Yes, at the price you yourself have set upon her. 20,000 pieces of eight. That is right, Mon Capitan. It is reasonable. It is in the article. What is in the articles, you fool? Where do you suppose I have 20,000 pieces of eight? Then let someone buy her who has. Who? I. You? I don't wish to be bought by you. Well, 
someone once told a slave, it uh, happens that you are hardly in a position to have anything to say about it. You, you want to go? Yes, why not? And I'm willing to pay for what I want. There's your answer. And now, Mademoiselle, if you please. No! Let go of that girl. Captain Levasseur, do not. It is honorably settled. It is not settled to me. He'll not take her while I live. Please do not take her when you're dead. Put on your sword. The two priests now, Articles, committed by you. This will be room. What's that? What's that? What I intended for you, Nian. But since you prefer it this way, you must break. Please, sir, be human. Keep a close guard, Levasseur. Put your own mouth, Captain. My friend ends a partnership which should never have begun. Robertson, we're leaving. Take the girl. What are you going to do with me? What are you? Why? Where, where are you taking me? I've not decided as yet. I'll go to Portwell or nowhere. Will you now? You'll find you'll do as I say. What right have you to keep me this way? Right, the right of possession. Robertson, you may take my property aboard ship. <laughs> Olivia de Havilland and Errol Flynn resume the events of our play shortly. Captain Blood's unchivalrous actions toward Arabella were prompted by necessity to safeguard her from the men. Now in his cabin on board the boat, he expresses his true feelings. He paces the floor exultantly as Arabella sits watching him. Arabella... Arabella, to think that you're really here. Here in the cabin of this ship, which I named for you. I dared to hope that someday you'd be here. To gather all these precious things I have for you. See, Arabella? Ankle rings from Persia. And look. Red jewel slippers. Long golden chains. And this dress, Arabella. This blue dress. When I saw it, I thought of your eyes. And I knew it was made for you to wear. I'll never wear it. Nor any plunder gotten by a thief and pirate. Thief and pirate? Thief and pirate. Arabella, you... I've seen your pirate ways. I've seen myself bargain for and fought over a combat between jackals. I thought you understood. You mean you thought you'd bought me. I suppose I should have regarded that as a compliment. You pirates are used to taking what you want without the formality of purchase. I advise you to go back to your ladies at Tortuga, Captain Blood. To your ladies who are thrilled by your bold, lawless ways. I only hate you and despise you. I might have expected your thanks for what I've done this day, but very well, let it be so. I'm thief and pirate, and I'll show you how a thief and a pirate can deal. Once you bought me for ten measly pounds. Now I bought you for considerably more. The amounts of no matter. What matters is that now I own you as you once owned me. You're mine, do you understand? Mine to do with as I please. Yes, sir. Well? Lord Willoughby sends his compliments and requests that you talk to him at your earliest convenience. He's sent out by the king himself. You can return his compliments and tell him to go to the devil. I'm not convenient to any friend of the king. All right, sir. Oh, wait. I'm going on deck. Jeremy, take this lady to her cabin and see that she stays there. All right, sir. How you hate the fellow. If I were a young man, blast me if I wouldn't be jealous. And you said you didn't even know him. He was once my slave. Your slave? Then you must have known him well. I did. He doesn't seem such a, such a bad fellow for a pirate. 
In those days, I thought him an unfortunate gentleman who had suffered a great injustice. When he made his escape, I was thrilled and happy. That was before I knew how he would use his freedom. Not to argue with you, my dear, but how else could he have used his freedom? An escaped slave, a homeless convict. And aren't you forgetting that a man's bitter heart may demand its revenge? That's the unforgivable thing, to have held his revenge above all else and so to have destroyed himself, for he has. I've seen pirates, I know what they are, cruel, evil, greedy, plundering peaceful cities, torturing their captives. Beasts out of hell they are. Mm. Are you so much in love with him? In love with him? To care so much what he does? I don't care in the least what he does. Someone should for what he's doing now. Still, your uncle commands a fleet at Port Royal. That much is fortunate. Why? What's this about Port Royal and my uncle? He amazes me, this Peter Blood. That's where he means to take us. No, he can't. I'm afraid he can if he wants to. They won't let me near him. He's alone on his quarter deck in a fine Irish temper, I expect. But I learned from the pilot... Lord Willoughby, he mustn't. He mustn't take you to your home. To your uncle. He has no more bitter enemy in the world. My uncle is a hard, unforgiving man. He lives in the hope of one day taking and hanging Captain Blood. Captain Blood probably doesn't know that, of course. I doubt it would make any difference if he did. He's chivalrous to the point of idiocy. And yet he's been what he has been these last three years. And done what he's done. Oh, Lord Willoughby, help me. I see your point, my child. But it's something you'll have to decide for yourself. Life can be infernally complex. When two countries are at war and one is attacked, who would it be but the enemy? England and France at war? You mean you didn't know? Where have you been in the past two months? At sea, out of touch with the world. Uh-oh! Chasing pirates. Bishop wouldn't let his fleet leave its post in time of war. He wouldn't dare. No? <laughs> Colonel Bishop is a very old and I may say a very dear friend of mine. It's probably me who's out there. Fool plunker. <laughs> <laughs> and me in his own front yard. Hard <laughs> <laughs> aboard to the helm, Jeremy. Aye. Helmsman, hard aboard. Aye, sir. May I ask, Captain, what are your intentions? 
I set out to land you at Port Royal, Your Lordship, with some risk to myself from the English fleet. Now a stroke of luck has removed them from the picture. Well, we'd best be turning back. Can you, an Englishman, be thinking of leaving when yonder an English town is being taken? Well, of what should we be thinking? Of the honor to fight for your king. To fight for my king, is it? <laughs> Do you hear that, lad? <laughs> the honor, is it? There's not a word to use in the same breath with him, and furthermore, he's not my king. Then you fail to show him the same loyalty he shows you. Loyalty now? Honor and loyalty. Fine words to describe him. He was loyal enough to send me to seek you out, to offer you pardon for your past crimes, freedom from your slavery, and more than that, a commission in his own navy for you and your men. What? The king wants us to join his navy? You can read the document for yourself, Captain Dutch. I wouldn't soil my hands with him. I'd rock before I'd serve him. However you hate the king, England is still England. And a bad king's a bad king. And if it's James, he's worse. This commission is sent by King William. King William? Who may be King William? I allude to his majesty, King William III, William of Orange, who with Queen Mary has come over from the Netherlands and has been ruling England these past two months or more. You mean they, they've roused themselves at home and kicked out James? Yes, and he's fled to France and he's hiding there. And therefore, England and France are at war. And King William sent us this commission? He did. He knows that you are good men, wrongfully sold into slavery. He can use good men in his navy. Why didn't you tell me that at once? Men, you've heard the news. For me, this changes the shape of the world. For you who are slaves with me... It means that we're no longer slaves, but once more have a home and a country. For you who are English, it means a chance to fight for your native land. For I now propose to sail into Port Royal and save it from the French. Those of you who are not Englishmen, you'll have to be content with fighting for Captain Blood. And for the loot you'll find on the French ship. Are you willing to fight, men? Then to your posts. Don't turn hard about. Full sail and straight ahead for Port Royal. seen victory so gallantly set from defeat. That was a good fight. But Miss Bishop, where is she? Is she safe? Safe and sound. You'll find her now at the governor's mansion. That is, if you're looking for her. Looking for her? Aye, there I am. Good evening. Peter Blood. I thought you'd gone. But Fred, I've only just arrived. But you can't stay here. My uncle's just returned. Yes, I know. You know? Well, what are you going to do? Just stay here. Oh, no, no, no. It's impossible. You mustn't stay here. He's sworn he'll hang you. Well, I doubt if he will. I've always been bad luck for your uncle. But you can't know the threats he's made. His whole life is spent in searching for you. Well, now he's found me. Well, you can still save yourself. Please, please, for my sake. For your sake? I'll hide you. What do you mean, for your sake? Isn't it true that you hate me? Hate you? Or is it that you love me? I'll hide you. And tonight, when it's dark, I'll find someone. You love me, don't you? 
don't you? Whom else would I love? You love me. Yes. Now will you go? Arabella. Please. He'll be here any minute. I'll hide you somewhere and... We'll hide together. I know just the place. Where? Here. Peter, this is my uncle's office. The office of the governor. Good. Well, he'll come here first. Oh, I forgot to tell you. The governor and I are on the best of terms now. The very best of terms. Sometimes I think I'm the best friend he has in the world. When did you find out you love me? Oh, you must be mad. He's a nice man, the governor, you know. He lets me come and go here as I please. In fact, look, he even lets me sit in his chair. See? Listen. My uncle, he's coming through the street now. They're cheering him. Cheering, is it? That's a strange kind of cheering, I'm thinking. Take your hands off me, you rogues. I have arrested you by order of His Excellency the Governor. The Governor? You're mad. I am the Governor. You mean you were the Governor. But you've changed that in your absence. Bishop, you're removed from office for abandoning your post in time of war. Who the devil are you? My name is Willoughby. I'm a special emissary from His Majesty the King. Lord Willoughby? You were informed, I think, of my coming. Oh, yes, yes. And yet you went off on some wild goose chase after a pirate, leaving your capital at the mercy of the enemy. It's a serious matter, Colonel Bishop, as you may find. But your lordship... I'm not concerned to hear your reasons, man. His Excellency the Governor will hear you. The Governor? You'll find him inside the house. It rests entirely with him, whether you're hanged or not. This is one more item to the account of that scoundrel's blood. Why heaven, what a wrecking there'll be when we meet you. Oh, come in, Uncle. Arabella, what are you doing in this office? I've been pleading with the governor on your behalf, asking him to be as merciful as you would be cruel. The governor? Where is he? I, I fear I am, Colonel Darwin. Peter Blood, you? I? The new governor, by the king's order. Well, and by my order, I command that for your neglect of duty... No, no, in heaven's name, Blood. for your neglect of duty, you ought to be punished. By accepting his nephew, one Peter Blood, one-time pirate. What? Arabella, may I put my arm about you? If you wish. Oh, Faith, <laughs> you're as pretty as a Mayday sky. Wait, I, 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 don't, I don't understand this. You don't need to understand, Uncle... You're excused. And that was Errol Flynn, Olivia de Havilland, and the slightly underused Basil Rathbone in Warner Brothers' classic adventure yarn, Captain Blood. Well, before I tell you how to enter the competition, I just have a couple of hellos to make. First up, hello to David Gray, who said some great things about episode 16 on Twitter. Bless your heart, sir. A seriously hard high-five to Steve and Smokey at the History of Misunderstanding podcast for not only recommending this podcast in a very unique way in the last episode, but for flying the flag for independent podcasters everywhere. Can't have too much of that. You and Good Podcasts are definitely doing the community proud to keep on keeping on you're a couple of stout fellas and thoroughly talented film reviewers to boot have a canterbury canterbury have another canterbury have a hat full of canterburys canterbury i don't fling out the canterburys for just anyone you know i reserve them for visiting royalty and drunk supermodels so you're in fine company 
Also, a big hi to the In Session Film podcast who took the time to recommend this podcast as one worth catching on Twitter this week. I'm utterly humbled. And thank you, fellas. You can't tell, but I'm doing a thumbs up. Two of them. Well, actually, three of them. A long story. Also, though, a big hello to Andy Hamilton, who's just started listening. Hello to you, sir. And I've been hearing all about your telephone calls. Very flattering and wonderful to have you along. Right then, it's competition time, and you swabs have two weeks to enter this one. So when I decided that Captain Blood was going to feature this week, it got me to thinking, with a name like Peter Blood, he couldn't really have been anything but a pirate, could he? He certainly would have struggled as a gynaecologist or a children's TV presenter, wouldn't he? But how about we switch it around? You see, Peter Blood is a great name for a pirate, but I'll tell you what isn't a great name for a pirate. Jeff Maggots. Jeff Maggots would never be a ship's captain. Neither would Andrew Fetus, or Trevor Shunt, or Derek Schmaptin. Schmaptin! That's what I want from you. The worst name for a pirate captain you can possibly think of. Neil Paint. You just can't get excited about seeing Neil Paint swinging across some rigging, can you? Chris Daffodils. Daffodils. So try and come up with the worst possible pirate captain name you can think of and send it to me via email at adam at attaboyclarence.com or post it on the Facebook page or at reply me on Twitter where my name is attaboyc and the person that comes up with the worst pirate captain name will win not one, but three prizes. Graham Polythene. It's a heavenly trio of prizes. Yes, a trio of angelic wonders. I am giving as a prize every single film I reviewed last week. So that's A Matter of Life and Death, The Bishop's Wife, and Here Comes Mr. Jordan. Brand new, freshly purchased, still in their wrapper, DVD copies of all three movies will go to the person who thinks of the worst name for a pirate in the next two weeks. Kevin Trumpets. Trumpets. You can enter as many times as you like, so every time you think of something terrible and ridiculous, send it in on Twitter or Facebook or via the email, or you can actually message me through the website too, and I'll be reading out some of the greatest entries when I see you again for episode 20 in two weeks' time. Until then, I'm off to enjoy the schizophrenic English climate and to watch the Roaring Twenties again. So I'll see you in two weeks. Bye for now. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.